it actually showed a lowering of these stress scales in trauma. And I think it's important to understand that this then provides an eye-opening solution for how we can rethink what are the ways in which we can help trauma victims and we can help you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that many of us have experienced trauma and we don't really identify it. So I think the fact that eating something as simple as an, as a blueberry and having that on a regular basis, because for one, we need our fiber in our diet, we need those delicious phytonutrients, but we also really need our servings of fruit and, and berries, especially blueberries, are a great way to do that. But the fact that they can also target symptoms related to trauma is hugely beneficial to many of us. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the Happy Habit Podcast. I am your trusty host, Matthew. On this podcast, as you might very well know, we like to talk all things health and well-being. Two times a week on a Monday and a Thursday. If you are new, welcome along. If you're coming back, well, thank you so much. We obviously did something correct the first time. And we are now on YouTube. Yes, the Happy Habit podcast has its own YouTube channel where you can watch the interviews that I've been doing lately. You can watch them in HD or you can avail of our Instagram page as well where you'll see some clips from those interviews and some upcoming clips from upcoming interviews too. So lots more ways to connect with the podcast. If you're enjoying the content, please like, subscribe, share and do leave the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you're connecting with us. Now, today I'm speaking with Dr. Uma Naidu. She is a nutritional psychiatrist and author of the wildly popular book, This Is Your Brain on Food, an indispensable guide to the surprising foods that fight depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, ADHD and lots more. In this episode, we learn that what we eat can indeed affect our mood. We learn about how something as simple as blueberries can alleviate the after effects of trauma. We explore the relationship between vitamin D and anxiety. We find out why the link between the gut and the brain is so crucial for our overall well-being. We learn about the microbiome and its role in health. And we can expect to learn about the link between gluten and ADHD. And we discover the best foods for our brain's health. Well, I'm joined on the Happy Habit podcast today by nutritional psychiatrist Dr. Uma Nagdu. And she is a an author of the wildly popular book, This Is Your Brain on Food, an indispensable guide to the surprising foods that fight depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, ADHD and more. Now, we've heard the term you are what you eat many, many times down through the years. And we know that if we don't exercise correctly, what we eat will end up around our waist. But this book makes the case that what we eat affects our brains as much, if not more, than our waistlines. This is uh, correct. And that's really the message you wanted to bring forward with This Is Your Brain on Food, which um, really has asked the question, you know, what happens to the food that we eat and why haven't we been paying attention to how food impacts mood um, or food impacts anxiety or all of the different conditions that I break down in the book. 
So it was meant to be uh, intended really to be the different mental health conditions that are the most common. And looking at the science behind the foods that we want to add into our diets and the foods that we slowly want to step back from. Um, and I think that it also has recipes to go with each chapter, as well as lists of foods at the back so that you can literally take photographs and take these to the supermarket and choose, um, or however you apply your groceries, really choose the foods that you want to be eating for different health conditions. And it's meant to be shared. You may have a, a co-worker, a family member, a friend who's suffering with something, and it's meant to be something that people can interact around and have a conversation about food and their mental well-being. Well, the book has some really eye-opening facts, and uh, this will amaze people. Blueberries help cope with the after-effects of trauma. How so? They do. So some research uh, done looked at uh, blueberries and the impact on the brain. And these were in individuals who had been traumatized. Now, the specific study that I quote in the book was, you know, the, the first the first iteration of these studies were actually in animals, but it actually showed a lowering of these stress scales in trauma. And I think it's important to understand that this then provides an eye-opening solution for how we can rethink what are the ways in which we can help trauma victims and we can help, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that many of us have experienced trauma and we don't really identify it. So I think the fact that eating something as simple as as a blueberry and having that on a regular basis. Because for one, we need our fiber in our diet. We need those delicious phytonutrients. But we also really need our servings of fruit. And, and berries, especially blueberries, are a great way to do that. But the fact that they can also target symptoms related to trauma is hugely beneficial to many of us. Can we talk about the relationship between vitamin D and how it can help anxiety? And then can you give us some sources of vitamin D? Yes. So vitamin D is uh, is uh, is uh, uh, really a new steroid. And it's a, it is something that, believe it or not, one of the easiest ways to get vitamin D is to spend 10 minutes in outdoor time before you apply sunscreen or sunblock. This then metabolizes in your body and you get about 80% of your daily requirement of vitamin D. Vitamin D actually helps mood, but it also helps to lower anxiety. So these are easy things that you can do. It's found in things like eggs, uh, certain types of mushrooms, and certain fortified foods. But most of the time, I try to direct people to those whole foods as much as I can. So I think it's just an important thing to to be able to um, include. Also, I find that um, in the in the far northeast of the United States, there are many people who may be deficient because we have a different level of sunshine. So it's also important uh, here to be tested by your doctor if you're afraid or fearful of concern that you may be deficient in vitamin D before you start supplementing it. But you can always use food as a way to improve your levels. The book opens with a chapter on the link between the brain and the gut. Now, why is this so significant? It's significant because until, you know, it is interesting, Hippocrates, the, the really the father of modern allopathic medicine pointed to this eons ago that there was this connection, but the science and the hard facts and the research had to follow. So over the last decade and a half to two decades, uh, there's been an emerging amount of science around the gut microbiome as well as a burgeoning amount of research. So what we've now understood is that there's the gut microbiome, there's now gut-brain connection, the gut and brain originate from the exact same cells in the human embryo. They divide up, up uh, apart to form the gut and the brain. 
then they are connected throughout our lives anatomically by the 10th cranial nerve, which is the vagus nerve. And this allows for text messaging and messages, chemical messages like neurotransmitters, to be moved up and down all day or all night throughout throughout our lives. But also about 90 to 95% of serotonin and serotonin receptors are in the gut. So that also helps us understand that there's a very big interaction around the food that we're eating, those neurotransmitters and that interaction. So understanding that the gut-brain connection explains and unfolds the food-world connection is one of the big sort of revelations that came forward with This Is Your Brain on Food. I like that term, the food-mood connection. I hadn't heard that before. Uh, can we talk about then the importance of uh, nourishing the diversity of the microbiome, the bacteria in our guts then, to, so as our physical and our mental health uh, can benefit from that? I really appreciate that you make that point because people just assume there's only one way or one solution to improving our gut microbiome, but actually there are many. The more colors, the more textures, the different types of food uh, that you can eat and include in your diet, especially plant foods. And the reason is that you get fiber from uh, vegetables, uh, fruit, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, and healthy whole grains. You don't really get it from animal or seafood or other sources of, of uh, non-plant protein. So those are an important component of a diet as well. But if you're really looking to improve that biodiversity, try to up your game and think about different colors of vegetables and different names of vegetables and fruit that you can add to your diet every single week. And actually create a fun checklist. Have a game with yourself. Like how many, how many different vegetables am I eating today? How many colors? You know, how many am I adding to my salad? By the end of this week, how many would I have checked off on a list that are different? And that way, you're not only expanding your palate in terms of eating more delicious foods, you're improving the biodiversity that you are bringing back to those microbes in the gut microbiome. You are one of many medical professionals who hold aloft the Mediterranean diet. Why is this diet held up as the gold standard, really, of what we should be eating? Well, for one thing, I think it's so it's it's versatile and it allows for a breadth of different foods that many people eat. It is rich in those plant-based foods, uh, but healthy versions of, um, you know, the, the colorful vegetables, the different types of fruit, but healthy fats, the omega-3s, the olive oil, uh, the nuts and seeds that our bodies need. And then, you know, the proteins, whether it's uh, a type of seafood that you wish to eat or a type of poultry, maybe it's a piece of chicken. All of these things are uh, have, have, in my opinion, been helpful for us to allow people to understand there's good research behind the diet. It's looked at things like depression. It's looked at things like cardiovascular health. But at the same time, many people can actually access these foods. Now, uh, you know, we want to expand that as we think about um, maybe diversifying that definition. But stick to, you know, the beans, the gills, the lentils, the avocado, the um, olive oil, the healthy fats, the seafood, the poultry, and an abundance of plant foods is a great way for any of us to go. I'd much rather have people almost feel that accessibility of that this kind of diet than really hone in on, well, let's give up that food group and the sort of eat this, not that mentality in the U.S. So let's give up this food and see how we feel. I think elimination is important when there are symptoms, but it should be done carefully and not because a food group should be excluded 
for um, the reason that's obvious in science. You explore the subject of OCD and OCD sufferers in the book. What foods should they avoid? One of the things with OCD is that they have uh, their natural sources of uh, glutamates. And the natural sources of glutamates can actually drive OCD. And these can be found in foods that, you know, people uh, are consuming and not realizing that they could be driving symptoms. Uh, you know, many, many people realize the added, the added sugars and those foods we know to be unhealthy. But unfortunately, the, the healthy, the, the glutamates found in things like fish sauce, oyster sauce, just tomato sauce, miso, which is a fermented food, it's fermented soybean, and I would ordinarily want you to be eating a lot of fermented foods, unfortunately also contains natural sources of glutamates, and these can actually drive symptoms. So in the book, I have lists of foods which have these natural glutamates and can worsen your symptoms, and they're just, just a way that you want to be a little bit more. Is the relationship between ADHD and gluten? Yes, I mean, to to the extent that we um, that we you know that we've seen in the research, I think the thing about ADHD is that we know that one of the biggest offenders is actually um, you know sugar and glucose. Um, but if you think about it, uh, you know there's also the conditions like celiac disease and non-celiac sensitivity, and those individuals really do need to, for health reasons, really avoid products that contain gluten, which is this, this the most important protein in wheat. So one of the ways to think about it is to slowly eliminate gluten and to see if any symptoms improve. So it's definitely one that came up with, with the ADHD studies. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think there are many foods we can add in, like uh, mineral uh, minerals from zinc, iron, magnesium, and potassium, you know, polyphenols from berries, cherries, onions, even green tea that can help focus and attention. Um, so lots of things that we can we can also um, add in and consider having a short elimination of gluten to see if the symptoms of uh, attention and focus may improve. And towards the end of the book, all of the research and the advice come together when you discuss how to cook for a healthy brain. What would be your go-to foods or meals when you're trying to eat for a healthy brain? I mentioned my favorite, you know, golden chai or my golden latte. I also love the recipe for spinach dal, which is like a lentil soup. It has spinach in it, it has, um, you know, the lentils, which give you the fiber and the nutrients that you for me, it's it's sort of an all-around favorite. Um, but then I also love things like some of the snack foods and the chia, the chia puddings because they're simple, easy to make ahead, you know, breakfast that I can keep in my fridge but have them. Sometimes if I don't have them for breakfast, I have them as a snack later in the day and I make them differently. You know, I add different uh, toppings to them like berries or nuts, things that make it interesting. And one of my favorites, extra dark chocolate. So uh, I think you know, I like a lot of the recipes there, but those are some of my favorites that I, I talk about what time and time again. I'm a fan of dark chocolate myself. The higher the amount of cocoa in it, the better. Uh, the book <laughs> is <laughs> the book is called This Is Your Brain on Food. Dr. Uma Naidu, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
Thank you, Matthew. It's been a pleasure to talk. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Habit Podcast. If you're enjoying tuning in, please like, subscribe, share with friends and family and co-workers or anyone who you think might get value from this series. And do leave the podcast a positive review. It helps spread the message of the Happy Habit Podcast far and wide. Until next time, stay happy. Thank you.